couple weeks ago, we started looking at the gift of emotion. You know, each, each Christmas season, as I read uh, the texts about the birth of Jesus, I'm always looking for something that maybe I've missed before. And this year, what really stood out was the reality and the fact that God has given us emotion. And uh, let me just read a couple of verses uh, where we see emotion. Matthew 1, 20, uh, Joseph discovers that his wife-to-be is pregnant. I mean, imagine the stress. He didn't do it, right? Do I divorce her? What? I mean, I'm the talk of this little town of, of Nazareth. Um, what, I, and I, she certainly doesn't seem to be a loose woman, right? What's going on here? And just the stress and the fear. And an angel appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Don't worry. This is all God's plan. The wise men, Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, now Matthew's trying to find words to express the emotion. Um, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let me go back to the emotion of fear and worry and anxiety. In Luke 1, Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, goes into the temple and an angel appears to him. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. I mean, this is trembling kind of fear. And the angel says, don't fear. Luke 1.30, Gabriel appears to Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then as we read earlier, the, angel, or the shepherds out in the fields, they're just tending their flocks at night, and the angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord appears. And it says, They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now I find that interesting because the angel tells them to go from one extreme, terror, to the opposite of extreme, joy. Because of this Christ is coming into the world. Emotions are a gift from God. Imagine how boring life would be without emotions. Right? It'd kind of be like being a Baptist, wouldn't it? No. <laughs> I could have thrown in any. I could have said Presbyterian, whatever. But um, God has given us emotions as a gift to experience life, not just methodically and boringly, but to enjoy life. Even negative emotions are a gift, kind of a warning signal. But here's the key. We need to learn how to use the gift the way the giver intended. Otherwise, we're dishonoring the
the giver. I told the joke the other day about the man who bought the $50,000 parrot for his mother. It spoke in three different languages. He sent it to her. He called her and said, so what did you think of the, the bird? And she said, it was delicious. Right? She, she did not use the gift the way it was intended. Well, how does God want us to use the gift of emotions? And here's the key. We need to align our emotions with his truth. In other words, truth is to be master over our emotions. Emotions are not to be over truth. Okay, A basic sign of maturity, spiritual maturity, physical maturity, emotional maturity, spiritual maturity, is that we have learned to align our emotions with truth. We are not controlled by our emotions, but we're in control of our emotions. Now, don't hear me say this. Don't hear me say stuff your emotions. God is glorified when we are emotionally in line with his truth. So don't, don't hear me to say stuff your emotions, but God is glorified when our emotions are in line with his truth. Right? Now, the world teaches you the opposite message. If you were to just get programmed by TV, movies, songs on the radio, the message you would get is you are a victim of your emotions. You can't be expected to do anything but be a slave to your emotions. Right? Um, you know, person... You hear people say this all the time. Oh, I can't help but be offended. Really? I can't help but be bitter. Now, a couple weeks ago we talked about bitterness. I can't, I can't help it. I fell in love with somebody else's spouse. Can't help it. Or today, you know, I can't help it. I fell in love with somebody of the same sex. I, you can't help it. They're, they're, you're just a victim of your emotions. Scripture says the opposite, especially with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can align our emotions with truth. Now, today, I want to talk about stress, feeling stress. Feeling stress is actually an emotion, and it's not a bad thing. If we never felt stress, we would never veer out of the oncoming traffic. Right? We'd never get out of bed. Right? We never plan for the future. So stress is not a bad thing. But when stress metastasizes into chronic worry, now we have gone into the realm, I, I, maybe you've never heard it this way, but we've gone into the realm of sin. It is a sin to be a chronic worrier. So now, those of you who are chronic worriers are feeling bad already, and you're sinning about feeling bad about worrying. And but let's uh, let's see what the scripture has to say about how to get this this emotion of stress or fear or worry under control. Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. This is my favorite section of Matthew's Gospel. Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6, he gives us six reasons why you don't have to worry. All right? 
six, uh, they're, they're really arguments when you think about it, logical arguments of why you don't need to worry. So take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. The first argument that Jesus gives is an argument from life itself. Look at what he says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now look at this. Here's the argument. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's what's he saying? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. It's a logical argument. Okay? Here's what he's saying. What did you have to do with your existence? Nothing. I mean, one day, you didn't one day say, I think I'll be conceived today. Now, your parents had a little something to do with that, but not as much as you might think. Ultimately, it is God who created you. He did the miracle of giving you life and a body. An impossible, incredible thing. He's given you life and a body. Now, here's the argument. If he is able to give you life and a body, is he incapable of sustaining your life and your body? I mean, just when you're worried, sit in your chair and think, I have life. It's an amazing gift from God. I have a body. It's getting old. It hurts, you know, but it's incredible. God, the giver of that life and that body, is able to sustain my life and my body. He will sustain it until it's your time to go. Now, um, I'm not real good at hospital visitation. Um, First of all, I don't like the smell, and I of of like even alcohol or uh, and I don't know what to say I'm not good at funerals that's why I got married to Elizabeth I bring her along she cries everything's good okay <laughs> so um, once I went on a hospital visitation a guy was going to have open heart surgery and I didn't know what to do and I, for some reason I thought I would turn to Psalm 139 verse 16 which says this All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know what that says? You have X amount of days ordained. There ain't nothing you can do about it. You're going to live until that day comes. You're not going to live one day more or one day less. And I read that to the guy, and then he went under surgery. He came back, and uh, he made it through, and he goes, you know what, That, that verse brought so much peace. It made me realize I'm going to make it until it's my day to, day to die. And if it's my day to die, oh, well, I get to be with the Lord until that day, though God's going to sustain me. Cut me open. <laughs> right? Um, I mean, that, really, that's what Jesus is saying. He gave you life. He gave you X amount of days. Don't you think he can give you the food and the clothes to sustain you until that day? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. It's very similar to Romans eight thirty two. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he died on the cross for you, Christian, don't you think he could provide you some Fruit Loops for lunch and breakfast? Right? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Stop worrying. You won't die one day sooner than your appointed day. Another way to put it is this. Until it's your God-ordained time to go, you're invincible. All right? Now, that's argument number one. Just think about life and your body. Argument number two, birds and flowers. Birds and flowers. Okay? Take a look at verse uh, 30, or 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The first one was an argument from the greater to the lesser. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If he takes care of insignificant birds, don't you think he'll take care of you, a child of his? Okay. And he, he, he does the same thing with flowers, verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. He takes care of the flowers. He takes care of the birds. Chill out. He will take care of you. I've said this before. One of the greatest things I've done uh, to reduce worry in my life is get a bird feeder. Put it outside your window. Watch the little birdies. It will remind you. I mean, their their brains are, are, are just little... There's nothing there. Yet they fly around and God takes care of them. He feeds them. Great little poem. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. He does a pretty good job with them. Don't you think he'll take care of you. Now, I think this is a great illustration, especially the bird illustration, because not only does it teach worriers to relax, but it doesn't let us go to the opposite extreme, because some people hear this and they, they're lazy. And they go, oh, yeah, this is great. I, 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 have a, I have my Bible verse now to justify my laziness. No. Um, the birds, God feeds them. But do they just sit around waiting for worms to drop into their mouth? No. They're out looking for food. In fact, does anybody have 28 feet of rope in their purse? Oh, over here. I carry it with me wherever I go. Can I borrow that? Sure, absolutely. Here you go. Very good. Thank you. You're so welcome. So, okay. Um, Steve, hold on to this. If Ryan's not here, so I can't pick on him. Where is he? North Carolina. Okay, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have to do this. I'm sorry. Give it a jerk. No. Just give it a jerk. There you go. And I'm going to give it a jerk. There you have it. A rope with a jerk on each end. (laughs) No. (laughs) You know what this is? 28 feet of rope. It's two days worth of worms. If you were to line up the worms that a robin eats in two days, that's how many worms they have to eat. Right? That's a lot of worms. So they're not just sitting around uh, waiting for God to drop the worms in their mouth. They, they're out working pretty hard. It reminds me, you know, if you were to take everybody who falls asleep in church on Sunday and line them up head to toe, head to toe, head to toe, they'd be much more comfortable that way. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. Okay. Here's my theology of money that's found in the Bible. One, work hard. Two, live within your means. In other words, if you haven't made it, you shouldn't spend it. Live within your means. Three, give generously. And I'm going to add a fourth one. Relax. Relax. Work hard, live within your means, give generously, chill. That's what the birds do. Okay? Third argument. Third argument. Argument from futility, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So here, he's kind of taken us back to Psalm 139. You have a lifespan. Worrying is not going to increase it one fraction of a centimeter. Okay? In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Think about worry. What does it actually accomplish? Does it actually do anything? In fact, this is interesting. Somebody tracked what worriers spend their time worrying about. And here's the percentage breakdown. 40% is spent, 40% of the time worrying is spent on things that will never happen. 30% is spent on things that have happened in the past that we can't change. So there's 70% already. Things that will never happen and things that have already happened that you can't do anything about. 12% um, criticism that others make about you that's usually wrong. Another 10% about health, which gets worse with stress. Okay. That leaves only 8% of things that actually matter. So 92% of our time worrying is spent on things that it's a waste of time. Doctor from John Hopkins University wrote this. We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but it's a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul for faith and not fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. 
Right? It's the argument from futility. What, what good does it actually do you? Let me move on to the fourth one. The argument from fatherhood. Verse 32. For the Gentiles, now you're, if you have an NIV, it says for the pagans. ESV says Gentiles. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. If You know, if you're a person who's just like obsessed with shopping, and you know, oh, got to go here, got to go there, whether it's online, and oh, am I going to have enough? Am I gonna? You're a pagan. Sorry, but you are. For the pagans seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What's he saying? You have a heavenly father who will take care of you. What are you doing? It'd be like your little toddlers sitting in the car worried, oh, do we have, we going to have enough soap? We're going to have enough pork chops? Are we Shut up and relax. Enjoy the ride. We'll take care of it. Right? Um, At one point, I realized that when I worry, I'm telling God that I'm a better father than he is. I mean, I I like to give good gifts to my kids. Now, every time we go out to eat, I pull out my wallet and I go, you guys are killing me. You know, I kind of make fun of that. But I enjoy it when they are having a good time at their favorite High-class restaurant, Sam's Club. (laughs) Go ahead. Get your hot dog combo. Get a double if you want. Okay? It's on me. I enjoy that. Um, I was going to show you a picture. It it didn't work out. But um, when these guys were little, especially Josh, won't embarrass you, Josh, right? They loved Toy Story, the movie Toy Story. And that was back with the VHS. You put it in, and every day they would watch Toy Story. And uh, their hero, Buzz Lightyear, right? I don't know how kids can keep watching the same thing over and over and over, but they they wore the tape out. So um, we took them to Disney. And you know how they have the characters walking around? We have a picture of these three. Well, where's Caitlin? These three meeting Buzz Lightyear. Elizabeth's crying. You say it was the happiest day of their life. No, it was the happiest day of our life. Because we get joy when we give our kids good things. Right? Don't use that against me, though. Okay? (laughs) Now, here's what... uh, Here's what Jesus says in chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. He uses that same thought. Just just think about the joy you get when you give a good gift to your child. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, you've got to be pretty cold-hearted. Dad, I'm hungry. (laughs) Have I got some lunch for you? And rather than giving him some Panera bread, you give him a big old rock. That's cruel. Nobody does that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. (laughs) You know, that's evil, right? 
If you then, though you are evil, did Jesus believe in total depravity? Yes, you're evil. Oh, I was taught at my secular college that man is good. No, you're evil. Even though you're evil, you totally depraved sinners. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Here's, here it comes. Here's another how much more so argument. How much more will your Father in heaven, who's not evil, who's good, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay? Now, you know I have warned you against the health, wealth gospel, the name it, claim it gospel, and warning, warning, warning. But, but, the heart of God is that he takes joy when his children ask, and he can give them good gifts. You believe that? So when you worry and fret, in essence you're saying you're a better parent than God. You're a better parent to your children than God is to you. Think about that. Right? Then let me move on to the fifth argument. It's the argument from promise. Take a look at verse 33. Here's a promise. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's the promise? Instead of spending all your time worrying, why don't you invest that time into seeking God? And then he'll give you what you need on top of it. That's a promise. So here's a question. Do you trust God for your salvation? Oh, yeah, I trust. I believe Jesus died, rose from the God. I'm just... I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. So you can trust him to save you from hell, but you can't trust him to provide for you? Right? Pursue him, and he will take care of you. Um, Elijah in the Old Testament, he's in a three-year famine, but God's been providing for him the ravens the ravens have fed him but then the ravens go away and he runs into a widow lady who has a son and um, he says hey widow lady um what are you going to do today and she says oh here's my plan i'm going to go home i have a jar with a little bit of flour in it and a little bit of oil and a jug i'm going to make a pancake i'm going to eat it and die so here's my list my to-do list Go home, make a pancake, and die. What are you doing today? So Elijah says, well, let me uh, me challenge you here. And this is what he says. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. In other words, use it all to feed me. And bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. But wait a minute. How can, how can she make enough for him and for her and for her son if she's going to use it all on Elijah the prophet? Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah 
and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. He was testing her. Do you have faith? So, you know, every time you give, it's an opportunity for you to have faith. Right? Sometimes I feel bad, you know, encouraging you to give generously. But then I'm robbing you of the opportunity to trust your heavenly Father. What's his promise? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Give generously. It's a way to live supernaturally, really. Because you're trusting in God to provide, not just you and your resources. Now, remember the, wor- the worms. You're to work hard. But when you give a good chunk of money to the Lord, in essence, you're saying, I'm living supernaturally. I am trusting you as my provider, not just me. Okay? The, a sixth and final argument, the argument from sufficiency. All right, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What does that mean? God has a certain amount of trouble marked out for you today. Andy has a certain amount of trouble worked out for you tomorrow. Andy has a certain amount of trouble worked out for you the next day. And guess what? He's got enough grace for you to deal with your trouble today and enough grace for you to deal with your trouble tomorrow and enough grace. So, so you know what? You, he, he's got a sufficient amount of grace and a sufficient amount of trouble. The problem is when we start stacking up trouble and trying to deal with tomorrow's trouble with today's amount of grace, we freak out. Jesus says, just trust in my sufficiency. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were in the desert and God provided for them every day with manna, magic donuts from heaven. Okay? Now, here's, uh, here's what he told them. Verse Exodus, uh, Exodus 16, 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Certain amount for each person. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Now, here comes the test of faith. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. Stop right there. Why? Because God will provide what you need tomorrow. Today, he'll provide the manna you need. Eat it. Throw the rest away. Tomorrow, there will be more for you. And to do that requires faith. Look what happens. However, verse 20, some of them paid no attention to Moses. 
they kept part of it until morning. There's not going to be enough tomorrow. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. See, when you start worrying about today's problems and tomorrow's problems and the next day's problems, your stomach turns to maggots, right? Just deal with today's problems with today's dose of sufficiency. So, there you have it, a six-fold recipe to enable you to deal with stress according to God's word, right? Look at life. He gave you life. Won't he give you the money you need to sustain your life? Look at the birds. He takes care of them. Will he not take care of you? He died on the cross for you. Will he not provide for you? There's the argument from futility. What good does it do you? There's the argument from fatherhood. Are you saying you're a better father than God? There's just the promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You could spend your time pursuing him instead of worrying. And the argument from sufficiency, I will give you the grace you need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Um, I, I thank you that we can't really trust our emotions, Lord. So we look to you and your word, and you tell us how to submit our emotions to your truth. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that you'll provide. Thank you for the arguments from the greater to the lesser and the lesser to the greater. And Lord, I do pray for each person here that uh, especially as we head into a what could be a very stressful week for some, Lord, help us to just relax, to believe these things. When we, when we feel stressed, Lord, encourage us to open up to Matthew 6 and to believe what your word says. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.